So I want to talk about the, the theme of Brahma Vihara, mm -hmm. but starting with the uh, Jivika Sutta, Majjhimikaya 55. Okay. <coughs> and so I'll just read section, a few sections. So the Buddha says to Jivika, Jivaka, I say that there are three instances in which meat should not be eaten when it is seen, heard, or suspected that the living being has been slaughtered for oneself. Mm. I say that meat should not be eaten in these three instances. I say that there are three instances in which meat may be eaten when it is not seen, not heard, and not suspected that the living being has been slaughtered for oneself. I say that meat may be eaten in these three instances. Mm. So, it is so the question is, yeah, if uh, a person who is cultivating Brahma Vihara mm -hmm. practice, training in that practice, mm -hmm. or developing or, or developed in that practice, can he eat meat? And the answer is yes. And that's what he asked Buddha initially. Well, no, that's that's. What is the implication of that's, that? Yeah. Right, right, right. So a person who is uh, cultivating things like kindness. Compassion, mm. mudita, rebecca, mm. uh, a, bene a benevolent mind mm -hmm. can still eat meat blamelessly. Yeah, yeah, of course. So there is a way. Yeah. So, as a, as a lay person, uh -huh. buying meat from a supermarket, you, you don't directly kill anything. Right, right. But you still, you go and you desire meat, you go for it, you buy it. Mm. Is that blameless mm. or blameworthy? Yeah. Um, so <coughs> you know for sure the animal hasn't been killed for you, and not just that. Probably if that meat is not sold, it's going to be thrown away. But the same amount of animals will be slaughtered. So it makes no difference otherwise, otherwise mm -hmm. whether you buy it or not. Usually the argument is buying the meat supports the meat industry. But that's so far removed from any practical basis <coughs> that it's not true. Mm. Because it that argument is based on that um, um, <laughs> assumption that we are all equal, that we are all the same, that we all make the same choices, that we, all, that we could all make the same choices. And that's impossible. It's impossible for all humans to make the same choices. It's just inconceivable. But in theory you can conceive it. So in your mind, like if you stop, like even if you stop buying meat for the rest of your life, and you spend every single day of your life educating people to not buy meat, you wouldn't make a slightest dent in the meat industry. Because how many billion people are there on earth? It's, it's absolutely no way. So you have to recognize that people are different. So if you want to not eat meat or not buy meat, you cannot do it for those kind of abstract projected reasons that are not accurate. You have to find internal reasons. And there are plenty to find for. Like most of the, the like um, mass-produced meat is full of hormones, and the way animals are killed, meat is full of adrenaline and all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff. But um, so those should be your reasons if you don't want to buy it. But if you cannot not buy it, if there is nothing else, if it's the cheapest, uh, if you like need that food, then it's fine. Yeah, obviously, if you need it. Yeah, yeah. But that's the. So what what is the, what is the what determines the need? Well, what is the blameworthy? What is blameworthy there? 
Where? Is that blameless? If we just said it's completely. What? Blameless. Yeah. Which one? Buying food that you like. You could you could choose chickpeas. Right, 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 right. Well, it's not a moral question of blameworthy or not blameworthy. It's more like ethical question. Whether it's so, if you can refrain from it, don't do it. If you, if you, if you, if it's too much strain or the other aspects of your life, you have to focus on not eating and this and it's need more money and whatever else, um, or you can't get any other form of protein or like it's too expensive and so on. It's not optional. Yeah. But as long as you are not supporting the killing by by ordering me to be killed, by knowing that it's being killed for you. So that's what I mean. It's so far removed. Yeah. People like again, theoretically, you would think, yes, but we should all act from that ideal, but not if that ideal is divorced from reality. Such as people are not the same, and it's impossible to make everybody to make same decisions. It's just inconceivable. Yeah. So if for fact there will be people, they will be killing regardless. If you come across what's already killed, had nothing to do with you, like oh well, should you feel guilty in partaking in it? No. You can if you want to, but even so, it will be the guilt should be based on ethical reasons, not on moral reasons. In the suttas, I'll, I'll read further. It seems to suggest to me that there is a, that that would still be blameworthy to a certain degree because of certain factors. In I'm not quite sure what you're talking about now. I'll read further. Right. Okay. Because the Buddha explains what is truly blameless. Right. In terms of eating meat food in general. Mm. He continues to say, Here Jivaka, uh, some bhikkhu lives in dependence upon a certain village or town. He lives including one section of his, of his experience within a benevolent mind, mm -hmm. which he has discerned. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the second section of his experience, the third section Fourth, so above, below, around, in every way. Section or direction? Direction, section of his experience. Right. One direction, everywhere. So all directions of his experience he includes within his benevolent mind. Yeah, all to, as to, uh, and to all as to himself. Hmm. He lives including the whole world within a benevolent mind which is abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, mm. and without ill will. So he, he practices that way, he trains that way, he lives like that. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe someone who's already developed that. Then a householder comes to him and invites him for the next day's meal. The bhikkhu accepts, accepts if he likes. When the night is ended in the morning, he dresses and takes his bowl and outer robe, goes to the house of that householder and sits down on a seat made ready. Then the householder serves him with good alms food. He does not think, that bhikkhu does not think, how good that the householder serves me with a good alms food. Mm. If only a householder might serve me with such good alms food in the future. He does not think thus, he eats the alms food without being tied to it, infatuated with it, and utterly committed to it, mm. seeing the danger in it and understanding the escape from it. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jivaka, 
Would that bhikkhu on such an occasion choose for his own affliction or for the, another's affliction or for the affliction of both? No, Venerable Sir. Does not that bhikkhu sustain himself with blameless food on that occasion? Mm. And so that's what I'm saying. That's what he's saying is that that is the only blameless way of partaking. Right, I see. Well, it has nothing to do with meat specifically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but it. No, no, I'm just saying because yeah. the first question was simply about oh, meat, yeah. non meat, can you eat it or not based on what you have available? Yeah. So that's like one yeah. topic. But now you're talking about food in general. But. Yeah. As I start with that, that question, can a person so, who. So the point is, it's like you can abstain from eating meat all you want, mm. you'll be equally blameworthy for eating with your desire and for wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, so if, if you. And if you don't eat for wrong reasons, it's impossible for you to be blameworthy even if you buy all the meat in the world. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. That's what I think is slightly blameworthy. If, you, if, you, if you've got a mind of desire for that meat, for that taste, not because you need it and that's the only resource you have that you can only get there as the cheapest thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That is blameworthy in the sense of your desires. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You want a pleasant well, that's what makes yeah. it blameworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or killing specifically for yourself, yes. sure. But once that's not involved, so you know it's not killed for you, don't, you don't suspect that it's killed for you, and so on, then your desire is blameworthy. But then you're not talking about meat anymore. You're talking about food in general. Yeah, yeah. And Any food you eat with that yeah. desire for, for <coughs> wrong reasons, not for, not for sustenance, not out of the established mind, uh, it will be blameworthy. So what I find is interesting is that, I mean, it's the practice of that peaceful mind, that peaceful abiding, of mm. benevolence, mm. is not is how he says um, one doesn't is not tied to that food, infatuated with, utterly committed to it. There's no desire for that thing. To that that household to bring me good food, mm. me to get food. Mm. Mm. That is the practice of peacefulness. Yeah, that is the practice of yeah. benevolence. Well, practice of metta, friendliness, uh, if done mm. correctly, establishes your mind in this passion. Yeah. So if there's no base for passion, you cannot possibly exercise thoughts of, mm, I wish he brings me this food. It just there is no passion for any food, any experience, because of the mind of friendliness. You're not trying to get something from it's inconceivable. anyone else. It's impossible. All you do is protect the framework of yeah. friendliness, of benevolence, of non-harm. Because that implies absence of passion. That's why those, those states are wholesome. So then, although you're not <coughs> specifically sending your matter to food, uh, you will be unable to eat it with greed and, and, and desire because the mind is established upon uh, metta properly, upon karuna properly. So there's no base for any passion, regardless what the passion is. But the important thing there is, is what you said in the beginning <coughs> when you read the passage, the, um, you include experience within your mind of metta. You don't beam your mind of metta towards the experience and chase it down. You recognize that this mind of friendliness, it's more general than anything, any particular person, any particular experience that can come my way. 
be it from north, be it from south, be it from the west, be it from the east, be it from up, be it from down. So rec recognizing that, you get to include all these directions within your mind of friendliness. Not like send your mind of friendliness down these directions. Because if you send it down north, you can't send it down east, west and south. Yeah, yeah, you're trying to deal with this. Exactly. Thing, trying to deal with that. So it's not about dealing with specific anger or specific issues. It's about including any possibility for anger or issue within the unchanging mind of friendliness. So he includes to the, he includes the left, he includes the right, the front, the back, up and down. He includes it all within the framework. He, re he establishes the right order. Framework first, any direction second. And that's why whatever comes to that direction, good, bad, neutral, pleasant food, unpleasant food, pleasant people, unpleasant people, will not perturb the mind of friendliness. That's why it's called immeasurable, not tied to any particular experience. It's not uh, fighting against anything. No, 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 it's the opposite. It's, it's, it's overcoming the fight, yeah. You're not coveting the pleasure no. of any kind? No. Or tr yeah, trying to push away this, mm. that. Mm -hmm. And so it comes down again to feelings that... Uh, See, be able to see your feelings. Well, yeah, yeah, because that's that's the measure of experience for everyone. Whether yeah. experience is good or bad is whether it's felt pleasantly or unpleasantly. Yeah. And everything's felt. Yeah. So by by discerning that uh, the mind and friendliness can remain unchanged, regardless of the uh, pleasant or unpleasant experience. Basically, you're training your mind to remain equanimous regardless of how you feel, how you particularly feel. And that's why whether you're developing the principle of friendliness in metta or, or principle of, of jhana, the mind is developed in the same way. So this thing, you, you, being mindful of feelings and then developing that benevolence towards feelings. That's Pretty much that's where practically it's rooted, yeah. Because yeah. 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 the only criteria for pleasant, unpleasant, agreeable, disagreeable, it's whether how it's felt. Mm -hmm. So if you know, the, the unpleasant person is unpleasant because you feel unpleasant on account of the experience of that person, not because that unpleasantness is contained chemically in them or something like that. And then on another occasion, when your mood is good, the same unpleasant person, you don't feel unpleasant about it. If the unpleasantness were truly in people or things, it would always be felt the same way. Not like the same thing is sometimes felt like this, sometimes like that. So that's what you recognize. That unpleasantness is basically determined on how you feel at the time. So if you train your mind to be imperturbable in regard to how you feel at any time, there's absolutely nothing from any direction that can disturb that, because it's all second to it. Yeah, well, the cultivation of peace, mm. which is Brahma Vihara, mm. mm. that peace is in regard to anything. Exactly. Be. Yes. Yeah. It's not. Peace because I gain pleasure. Yeah. No. Peace because it's my peace friend. because it's undisturbed. Yeah. Regardless of what is happening. It's peace because it's undisturbed. Yeah. yeah. So that cultivating one who trains in Brahma Vihara in the suttas. You don't hear like he trains in Brahmagara and then he goes out to the village to teach, to do charitable work, mm. to start a guard, uh, you know, 
teach people how to farm, how to fish. Right, right, right. Uh, educate yeah. them. No, of course not. He doesn't become a psychotherapist and deal no. with the traumas of people. Like no, because that's all management. That's all tying mm. yourself down. But when he, he, cult- he, he develops Brahma Vihara, there's, no, there's nothing about that. He goes out and does outreach programs. No, no. He does nothing. No, because that's not what Brahma Vihara is. And it says he yeah. doesn't crave for things. Yeah. He doesn't covet things. He doesn't have yeah. ill will. That's all. That's it. And that's your greatest contribution to the world. Mm. Being incapable of ill will. Yeah. Not spreading love. <coughs> then, because that's Can you have love without passion? Can mm. you have ill will without <coughs> passion? Impossible. Can you have ignorance, delusion, obstinacy, distraction without passion? Impossible. So if you remove the passion... How can you love anyone? How can you hate yeah, anyone? Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. And you just no. That's so. The passion is a problem. Passion is the root of all greed, all, all good and all bad. Which means, because of passion, all good and bad are still tie you down. Doesn't matter if it's just you know, good is better than bad. But from the ultimate point of view, if you want to be free from it all, it's equally bad. <laughs> That's why you would think, well, generosity. So I want to practice Brahma Viharas. Mm. So I must actually go out and be generous. Mm. But that's there's two different things. It is, it is, yeah. Generosity can help, you know, sort out your circumstances. You know, people will like you. You will practice generosity because it will make you feel good, which means practically you're acting out of the wanting to feel good. Now, some people who, who don't have any sense of generosity, they should maybe at least do that, go through the motion of generosity, just to kind of, you know, in the same sense, like if somebody is too loose, tightening up your restraint a bit more to the point of you know being a bit painful is a good thing. But if somebody is too tight, like losing their mind on a kind of tightness, then loosening up is good for them. But it's not always to say that loosening is always good or tightening is always good. So for somebody who is not generous, who doesn't, um, who doesn't like even have that notion or, or any recognition of pleasantness of sharing, they should make the effort to develop it by giving, literally. But it's important to not fall into a view that giving and generosity is somehow making you closer to Nibbana. It isn't. That's the point. So you must replace bad, which is non-giving, stealing and so on, with good. But don't mistake that replacing bad with good is the practice of Nibbana, because it isn't. It can enable you to practice Nibbana better, but in itself it isn't. So generosity is the, is the cultivation. It's on the level of virtue. Yeah, virtue. Yeah. Be virtuous, be generous. But it's not the development of Nibbana. No. It's not for the no. practice. It creates a basis, but that basis in itself is insufficient. It's not a basis if there is nothing placed on that basis. And so there's... There's Brahma Vihara practice and there's generosity. Oh yeah, they're two different things. Yeah. Two different Yeah, things. you don't practice Brahma Vihara by being generous. Yes. You can things. develop Brahma Viharas on account of being generous beforehand. Yeah. In the same sense you can develop jhana on account of being virtuous beforehand. It's it's it brings a possibility for those things. Exactly, exactly. Virtue, yeah. generosity. But it doesn't automatically means you give practice you insight. No, no. Nibbana, no. Parinibbana, there we go. No. So, Brahma Vihara is, is the p- 
practice of Nibbana. It is. Practice of dispassion, practice of uh, imperturbability, practice of uh, remaining unaffected. That's why the ultimate, the, the highest Brahma Vihara is uh, it's upeka, equanimity, indifference. So if you practice your friendliness rightly, you will become perfectly indifferent to everything. Pain and pleasure. In yourself, let alone out there in the world. Continues. Oh, now Jivaka says, um, I've heard this, Venerable Sir. Brahma abides in benevolence, compassion, contentment, equanimity. The metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. Brahma abides mm. in those mm. four Brahma viharas. Mm. Venerable Sir, the Blessed One is my visible witness to that. For the Blessed One abides in those same qualities. Mm. And then the Buddha says, uh, Jivaka, any lust, any hate, any delusion whereby ill will, cruelty, or discontent, mm. or aversion might arise have been abandoned by the Tathagata, cut off at the root, made like, like a palm stump, done away with so that they are no longer subject to future arising. If what you said refer to that, then I allow it to you. <laughs> then that's what I mean. So that is... He's that's what Brahma is That's what it is. There's, it's there's the no complete dispassion. Yeah. There's no outreach programs, no. doing this, doing this, no, know, no. putting a smile. Or, or, or spreading your love to yeah. the left and to the right yeah. and loving everyone. No. As I said, <coughs> you cannot possibly love anyone, love someone and be emotionally indifferent towards them. It's a contradiction in terms. Yet... The cultivation of Brahma Vihara is that, dispassionate, emotional, imperturbability, indifference. Mm -hmm. And you cannot arrive at that by spreading love. It, it, again, it contradicts the very principle of, of, of that matter. You can arrive at that by practicing non-hate. But that's much more subtle than just visualizing love, universal love to everyone. And even that, whether you love somebody or not, it's determined how you feel in regard to them. So if you practice indifference towards your own feeling, you become indifferent by proxy <laughs> to anyone you love or anyone you hate. And that's how you overcome all of that. Yeah. So someone might you might not someone might make you feel uncomfortable or yeah. unpleasant. That will not be a basis for your hate. No somebody so might 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 make you feel comfortable. And there's no safe, agreeable, but there's no basis for love and infatuation. Yeah. So the f you were saying the other day the framework, mm. but of the framework of friendliness. Yeah. That's that's what you said. That, like, you know, you you abide in the qualities, so you discern the quality of friendliness, becomes a general experience. Or the quality of friendliness that I dwell on, you establish your mind upon that context of non-ill will, non-harm. So abiding in the quality of friendliness means developing the context of matter. 
And you can only do that on the level of your mind. Not on the level of chasing down everybody you hate or don't love enough. So you, you make so you have to be able to recognize those qualities. Yeah. First of all. In order to, to develop that context of non ill will. And then and well, then once you decide to develop in the context of non-ill, then you start to recognize that it doesn't matter from which direction things come at me, they all have to converge on how I feel about them. In my mind, practice is the context of indifference or friendliness towards my own feeling. So if you're friendly towards your own feeling, you will not resist it, you will not indulge it, you will not try to get rid of it, you will not try to replace it. You will be unmoved by it. Yeah, no, what, so whenever something's contacting you, mm. this is yeah, that's yeah. peaceful. You know, the, the, the common view is you practice metta towards yourself, then you spread it to others. It's true in as much you practice metta towards how you feel in regard to anything, and then you include even experience of others within that. Because there is no experience of others without you feeling something on account of experience of others. So by practicing metta correctly, you only bring it to yourself, because it's not a way. Mm. And you, you, you spread it to others by basically including others within what you already cultivate towards your own feeling. Not at the expense of, okay, I finished practicing towards myself, now let me do it towards others. Now that's all tied to this, and then to that, and then to both, and then to neither, and then left and right, and you have no idea. But if you develop the context correctly, context should remain unchanged. Regardless whether it's you, left, right, north, east, south, doesn't matter. The framework remains of non-ill will. And that framework is rooted in you being unmoved towards whatever you're currently feeling. Good, bad, or neutral. Whichever of those things might be present. So if you always have the attitude of friendliness towards how you're feeling, can you experience any, any thirst and lust and passion? That implies you want to change what you're feeling. You want more of it. If you're practicing indifference towards how you're feeling, can you then act out of trying to get rid of the unpleasantness that you might be feeling? No. Because that also implies you want to change. Get rid of it. It means you're not friendly towards it. You're, you're not, not peaceful. You're not peaceful. You are moved by it. And you get moved by it by acting out of it in the first place. You move yourself out of it. Feelings cannot move you. You move yourself on account of what you feel. So if you practice metta friendliness towards whatever currently feeling is enduring, you practice metta towards the whole world. Because feelings are always convergence you, point. You cannot experience the world without, uh, unless through your own feelings in regard to it. Impossible. That's how you cover the whole world. Yeah, that's how so you include you the, whole world, the whole world, as you as you translated initially. Because like, you just translate how you you spread it up, but the same word can mean you include, mm. you you infer, you bring it in. 